With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For Daniel Schwartz, this is success. We hope to be able to look back five, ten years from now and say, this group of people really kind of did something transformational. Schwartz is the CEO of Restaurant Brands International. It's the parent company of Burger King, Tim Hortons, and Popeyes. He started out his career at the investment firm 3G Capital. In 2010, when he was only 29, the firm's managing partner, Alex Baring, took a big chance on him, making him chief financial officer of Burger King. At the time, he had almost no management experience. Now, Schwartz is returning the favor, betting on young talent to lead his businesses. When we bought the business, Alex had suggested that I join a CFO, which is a pretty, you know, pretty big position, especially for someone who didn't really have all that much experience. And by all that much, I mean like none. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> had you ever been a manager of anything? I managed one analyst at 3G. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, a big leap. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely. Uh, it was. A, it was. A, it was a change in in role uh, for me. And just to give you a sense of how naive I was, I, I, you know, I never worked in a company before. So when people were talking, and the folks at 3G were talking about, you know, we need to make sure that we set the business up with a great team from the start. Even that idea, like, I couldn't really relate to it. I'm like, wait a minute, it's a business. It kind of runs itself. And what do you? And <laughs> so it was so, really back so, to basics for so, you. Yeah. So yeah. So. <laughs> So, but then you get there and you realize, well, it's actually not a business that runs itself. All it really is is a bunch of people running around doing stuff. And if you have really good people that are kind of running around in, in the right direction uh, who really care, then you get stuff done much, much better and much faster. So I think I, I quickly learned that don't manage the business itself, manage the people and help the people manage the business. And that was the big contrast from working in, in finance and working in private equity you know, at, at 3G. Uh, where I, I was able to manage the business effectively my, myself, and you know, was working with the bankers and the lawyers, and we had a model for the deal, and you know, I, I could kind of do all, all that on my own, maybe together with an analyst, but you kind of get it done <laughs> without a team, and in a company, there's just so much uh, to to do and so many different things. And even if you prioritize, which I think we're particularly good at, um, just focusing on a few important things. But you're only as effective as your team. And I quickly realized the importance of having just an amazing team. And I made some mistakes early on. And, you know, there was one person on the team who wasn't able to 
to do something. So I kind of just took the work back myself. And I, I remember Bernardo, uh, who was in the, the CEO, said, "Like this is wrong. You, you you can't do that. This is not sustainable. This is not scalable. You have to have a good team who's able to execute." It's like micromanagement. And, yeah, it, which is it just does, doesn't work for a, a whole bunch of reasons. And and that was the big transition, realizing the importance of of the team. And that's kind of stuck with me in recruiting in general, is something that's just always been and always has been, always will be a top priority for, for our company. I personally recruit at all the schools. I, I was at Cornell, as you can see from this notepad. You personally recruit even I, I, as CEO? I and, and several other members of the leadership team all personally recruit. I'm on campus, as are several other leaders of the company, and we're all personally interviewing candidates and because this company... In all companies, they're only as good as the people who work there. Um, and if you have great people, you can accomplish incredible, incredible things. And unfortunately, the opposite is also true. <laughs> well, what's behind this whole philosophy of hiring people who are young and giving them a lot of opportunities and seeing if they could rise to it? Why, why is that better than just taking in someone who's like a seasoned professional? Look, there's no, there's no right or wrong. That's kind of all... I know. Um, <laughs> and it worked out well for me. I mean, people bet on me at a young age, and I, I worked really hard to put myself in a position to, to get folks you know, comfortable to bet on me. And, and I, I, in turn, feel like I have to do the same. I mean, that, that's really, that's all I know. That's, that's what our culture is about. I think if you want to have a culture that's centered around meritocracy, you need to be able to live it. You need to be able to live meritocracy, and living meritocracy is is giving people a chance who perform well. So I was given a shot to be CFO at a, at a young age, and then in, in 2013, then CEO of Burger King went on to become the CEO of Heinz. And look, the board could have certainly gone elsewhere and found like a more seasoned executive than me. I mean, I think that would have been pretty easy to find a more seasoned <laughs> executive than me. I was I was 32 at the time, and. But I, I had done a good job, and the board had confidence that I'd be able to step up and go into this elevated role. And then I remember, you know, the board had asked me, and the folks in 3G had asked me, "Well, who can succeed you?" And and the best person at the time was a 26-year-old person in finance who was very mature, bright fellow who who did, who'd done an incredible job. And I said, "Look, this is the best candidate," despite you know his his age. And so we made <laughs> we made Josh Cobza uh, then the, the the CFO and. And look, that that was also one of the big again. That was a big selling point for us to be able to attract a bunch of great people at at, at schools and elsewhere around around the country and, and 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 internationally. That if you do well and if you work hard, we'll give you an opportunity faster than you'd get it elsewhere. And and I think that's that's good. And and I fundamentally believe that that's the right thing to do because mm -hmm. uh, it's much better anytime you can make a bet on someone you know. And someone who has, in fact, delivered, I think you're more likely to be successful than if you go outside. And sometimes people like to go outside and call the headhunter because, in a way, it's like anti-ownership or anti-accountable in that, like, if it doesn't work out, you can say, well, you know, this person was vetted by this great headhunter, yeah. so it's really not my fault. Pass the blame. Yeah, yeah it's this headhunter's fault. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's this, this headhunter. But they were they were vetted. You know, he had done great elsewhere. Whereas if you make a bet on someone in the company and it doesn't work, then it's really on you. But that's that's how it should be, right? Mm -hmm. If you're running a company, you should act like an owner, and that you know, owners owners can take chances. Owners can sometimes make mistakes, but that. 
that's a much better way of, uh, of going about uh, doing things. And I want to step back a little to kind of see the path that you got on. Uh, how did you end up getting into finance in the, in the first place? I went to Cornell. Uh, I didn't know I would do finance. I, I took some pre-med courses. A bunch of folks in my family are in medicine and took some financial courses. And I, I read a whole host of different books about finance. When you were starting to study finance, were you like kind of doing like your own reading as well? Like when you're saying you're looking through business books? Yeah, I read all the 1980s uh, finance. Like Barbarians at the Gate. Yeah, all those books. And they're fun. And (laughs) the books about all the the creation of like the leveraged buyout industry and at the same time reading textbooks about basic finance 101. So so that was like in your free time? Yeah. That sounds like the last thing I would want to do like in college is read like some business history. (laughs) I, I didn't get on here and say I was cool. Or yeah, anything. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Is this like a habit that you still have, like just like self teaching? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love I love reading um, interesting books. Do you like take lessons from these books and actually apply them to your job? It's hard. I think if you could take kind of if, if you find like one or two takeaways from each of these these books. Now, someone told me there's an app that you can go on to get the one or two takeaways from the books, but it seems like it takes away the fun of things. Yeah, it's kind of like cheating because yeah. they just give you like a bullet point list. Yeah. But yeah. So, and, and back to uh, an earlier point. So when you became CEO of Burger King, uh, there was coverage saying that you were a whiz kid, a prodigy, stuff like that. Wait, no, you're, you're shaking your head. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> Otherwise, I, th- I think that might have been the Business Insider coverage. There was one, yeah. There was one. Team, but, there yeah. were multiple yeah. ones, but I think uh, BI was the one that gave you the whiz kid title, so you're yeah. welcome. Yeah, but, uh, thank <laughs> you, I think. No, look, um, I, I always did well at school. I, my, I always had good grades. I, I, I worked really hard. I always studied hard. No one had to tell me to you know do my homework or anything like that. I, I'm, I'm not a prodigy. I'm not like a whiz kid. I'm... I'm I'm smart, but I think what has differentiated me is, is kind of a combination of hard work ethic and humility and just willingness to, to, to learn and to grow. And I think, you know, we, we have some really smart people at, at our company, but the ones who, doing, who do really well, they're, they're, they're really hardworking and they, they just they have drive. They really care and they act like an owner and they want to get stuff done. And, and what's nice about our culture is that it enables us what we do is we, we make these people owners, right? We, we make them owners in the business. We grant them stock. You know, we, we give them a piece of the pie. If they act like an owner, we make them an owner. And that, that's kind of how I was treated, and that's how I feel that we should treat our team members. But, but yeah, ultimately, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I always worked hard. I always, you know, really cared about, you know, my the results that are, or the projects that I was working on. And I, and I tell people in our company that, you kind of have to work, and this is the advice someone gave me actually one time. It's like you have to work really hard to put yourself in a position to get lucky, because uh, a lot of what happens is is circumstantial. It's a function of what's going on when. And but the folks who who do work really hard and really care about their results, opportunities come up for them because of the way we manage the business. That we're always looking to source talent internally. And so if you're working, let's say if you're working in uh, marketing. And you're doing really great, and everybody knows because everyone talks about everyone. Everyone knows, you know, Rich, you're doing great in marketing, and an, an opportunity for promotion comes in operations. We'll give you a shot at that, and that that helps accelerate this pace of 
opportunity creation for people that you know you, you're you're not just going to be labeled as a, a marketing person, right? That you can move elsewhere, you can move to HR or operations, and because we look internally and we promote from within, that helps you know kind of perpetuate this culture of meritocracy and this this ability to to really give people a shot at at a younger age. So it sounds like it's an approach where the job title itself is less important. It's more the person themselves. We like to make sure that people have the right skill set to be able to do a job. But yeah, ultimately, uh, for for people who are really talented or really passionate or really care, we feel like a lot of what we do, you could acquire the skills along the way. I mean, there are some exceptions, right, in specialty areas. But you know, you have to remember we're not launching rocket ships and you know we're not delivering babies here right so a lot of this stuff that we do is fungible um, and I've seen people move across areas who have been quite successful yeah and in terms of your own approach when you're saying that you were growing into these roles and learning from mistakes was there maybe a method or an insight that you learned that if you did run into one of these mistakes you did something wrong that there was a way for you to process it where that didn't happen again? I think the biggest lesson is to always realize that if something's not working, you, you either have the wrong owner or the wrong person managing it or the wrong strategy. And you need to be pretty sure which one that is. And, and more often than not with us, it's a people issue. And we need to make sure that we have the right people in the right places. And that's hard. I think that that's something that's hard for companies and for people to, to act on quickly. But if you could be honest with yourself and you always put the business before any of these other personal situations, that allows you to be more nimble and to, to fix things quickly. And, and when you joined Burger King, you were saying that you hadn't had any experience in like the restaurant industry or or actually even a company, as you said, a traditional company. But how did you go about learning how the business works? So I think the, the key to at least my my transition and other people's transitions is that when you come into one of these roles, you, you have to you have to kind of realize what you what you know and, and have a full appreciation. And that comes back to humility of, of what you don't know. And you have to be willing to ask a lot of questions and realize that most of the people around you have all the answers. And it's on you to ask the smart questions. I, I remember I asked people so many questions. I'm sure some of them were perceived as being pretty stupid, but <laughs> if I didn't know the answer, I, I wanted to know. And, and you know, I built just asking lots of questions and building a really good team um, of people who really believed in the project and wanted to grow the business. That was the key. And would you visit some of the locations as well? Oh, no, for sure. I mean, I, I spend a disproportionate amount of my time on the road visiting restaurants, meeting with our partners all, all over the world. I mean, just two weeks ago, we were in Singapore with a, a local team in Asia. We were visiting restaurants with our team, our franchise partner in Jakarta, Indonesia, in Shanghai, China, just last week in Toronto. So I'm always spending time with our teams visiting restaurants because that, that's where you learn the most about the business, talking to the franchise owners, talking to the folks working in the, in the restaurants. When I became CEO, I spent a bit of time working in the restaurants to learn. Just to, you know, Like actually making food and stuff? Actually making food, yeah. <laughs> like um, making hamburgers, making milkshakes. My worst performance was making ice cream cones. I was just, for whatever reason, never able to get the perfect squirrel. Um, and I spent a bunch of time in restaurants for several weeks and it helped me kind of, it just helped me learn more about the business. And I mean, it's important. It helps you stay close to what's actually going on. You can lose sight of that if you're just sitting in an office and 
you know, working on PowerPoint and Excel as opposed to actually being in the restaurant. So I, I did that for some time at Burger King right before I became CEO. And let's just say if it was a busy day, the crew did not appreciate my presence in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like you would go to one of these locations and they'd be like, oh man, like we have to have the CEO come cook with us. Yeah. But the, the then manager is now, she's now one of the, the head uh, trainers for us in Miami. And she was kind and she gave me time and she helped teach me a whole lot about working in the restaurant. And I did not get any special treatment, I could assure you. But it's a great experience and something I, I encourage you know other folks in the company to do. Yeah. And uh, when you had decided that Burger King would be a good opportunity to, to take to 3G, that was there was a big gap in terms of market value with McDonald's, who was ahead of it. So what was your first task being like, all right, here's what we're going to do to kind of lessen that gap? Look, it's, it's all about growth. Burger King had less than I think, around 12,000 restaurants and was in 80 countries. And, but, but the brand wasn't growing all that fast. I think that year that we bought it in 2010, it, it only opened around 150 restaurants. Last year, we opened up over a thousand restaurants. Oh wow! Across the three brands, we open a restaurant like every six or seven hours of every day of every you know every really? day of the year. Yeah, so wow. uh, it's about having the right growth strategy and making sure that we had the right partnerships around the world to accelerate the pace of of Burger King growth. And like key to turning companies around for your brands would be cutting costs where there would be like excess spending and some if it was like a lavish perk that would be something like an obvious choice but i would imagine that there would be some that would be painful for employees as well how do you have you run into difficulties with that when turning companies around we try not to look at it as much like cutting costs as as ownership of costs and as the owner of the business you treat the money as if it were your own right and so this idea of you know having a lavish party or a crazy perk like you're talking about, it's kind of pretty obvious to folks in the company, look, you should treat the company's money as if it were your, your own. And we build our budgets each year uh, with that philosophy, that you're going to have a budget and you should, you should spend accordingly. If there's an area that we want to prioritize, we agree we'll prioritize that. If there's an area that we don't, that we, we don't think adds value, we won't, <laughs> we won't spend as much money there. And Right, like in your personal life, you have a budget, and if you spend more money than you're able to spend, you, you can't. Right, you can't go. Well, I guess you you can't go negative on your bank account. So, and but when people work in a company, uh, oftentimes like that, that concept is lost on them. In that, like, well, it's not really my money; it's just the company's money. It's the company, right? And but but we said from the beginning, the company is just a bunch of us doing things, and and so it's important to view the money as if it were your own. So if you, we we have consequences. So if you spend more than your budget, then maybe you won't be eligible to get a bonus, or maybe you won't be eligible for something else. And so most of the folks who come work with us and and do well with us, they like this. They they act like owners, and they they're they're there because they believe in the project and they want to do something really great and they want to grow and. And this, this, this whole idea of trying to be more resourceful and having a budget, people don't mind that. They like that. In fact, some of the best you know, innovations, some of the best companies, they started out having to be very resourceful, right? Uh, so the greatest startups, you know, people you, you, you guys interview here, they had to be resourceful and they had to think differently because they didn't have endless budgets. And that idea of needing to be resourceful, that, that generates creativity and that generates a whole lot of good stuff for the company. 
And I saw something that you have like a a goal system that's public or some color-coded thing? Yeah. We have a handful of priorities that we as a company like to focus on, and they're, they're goals that I have individually. And I'll cascade those goals to folks on my team, and they'll cascade them and so on and so forth. So uh, everybody's kind of aligned, marching in the same direction. We're very transparent. We're very objective. If something's going well, we give it a green. If it's kind of in the middle, we give it a yellow. And if it's not going so well, we give it a red. And I think, again, that's one of the benefits of this ownership culture, this this 3G ownership culture, that you can be real, you can be transparent. And that's because that's what owners are. If you own the place, you're going to lie to anyone. You don't don't have to defend yourself to anyone. You have to just be honest with yourself of, look, here's what's working, here's what's not. And if I want to do things better, I need to improve this. And that's the difference between an owner and like uh, just an employee, right? An employee will... Yeah, it's a different. If it's it's just a, it's just a different mindset. So that that's that's how we we operate. It's very very transparent. If you come to our office, well, I actually don't have an office. We just kind of sit in open desks. Okay, so yeah, so you don't have like a, no, a walled I, off. No, I don't have office, a walled yeah. off area. <laughs> it's just a desk, just like everybody else. Yeah. And on my desk or behind my desk, there's my kind of seven or eight goals for the year and how I'm doing. Yeah, and we like to set big goals. So at any given time, I'm probably not. Totally green. If I was totally green, maybe it'd mean the goals were too easy. What do they look like now? Can we get some insight into it? It's a mixed bag. It's a, yeah. mix, <laughs> it's a mixed bag with a path to, hopefully yeah. a path to green on most yeah. of them by, by, by the end of the year. But um, that's okay. Yeah. We like to challenge ourselves. You these big, bold goals. It's not fun if you're going to set really easy targets, right? I'd seen something uh, where you said that uh, you don't raise your voice at work and you don't have tantrums. Have you ever had a boss or a colleague who did have that approach? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I did. Uh, and I, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Now I only have – the only people who are doing that in my life right now are my children. So, oh, well, that's good. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I had I, – I, when, just starting out or – Yeah, or early on, I, there was one guy who would have kind of crazy, crazy uh, – Outburst, and I, I kind of said to myself, "Look, I I don't want to act like that, and it doesn't make sense, and and it doesn't, you know, you don't get the best out of people, and you don't you don't bring a good like level of energy when you do that. When you go to the office, you want to have a good level of energy, you want to be positive, and you want to encourage people to work harder and work faster, and and get stuff done. And if even if you don't agree with people, if you do it in a respectful way and you let them know that like, you know, you still think that they can do some great things, then they'll be even more encouraged to go out there and do those things. Look, we all have our bad days. We all have our good days. But um, I try to be as balanced as I can and try to be honest and, you know, real with, with people I, I have meetings with at work. And, yeah. What drives you for all of this, like regardless of what company you're working with? Look, I like to win just like everybody else. And I think, you know, we hope to, we as a team, we hope to be able to look look back, you know, five, ten years from now and say, look, this, this, this group of people really kind of did something transformational. Like they really, they really, you know, they, they took these brands that maybe either weren't growing that fast or more local and they made them global. Um, they did incredible work in marketing. They did incredible work in development. And they really, they transformed a company in an industry. I think it'd be really cool for us to be able to say that. And the other piece that really gets me most excited is the like the people life cycle. And it's I find it personally fascinating. You get to go to college campuses or undergrad programs, MBA programs, or even just people who are 
you know, within the kind of network of people uh, who work with us and meet these interesting people, hire them, and see how incredibly well they do in the company. And that's fun. Um, you know, now I'll, I'll go to Asia or I'll go to Europe and I'll bump into someone I hired, you know, four years ago or five years. And, you know, the person has since kind of grown and running a big business. And that's fulfilling. It's a lot of fun. And, and I think it the kind of hopefully the, the next phase of the story, if we can say that, you know, we've trans, transformed a company or done something incredibly well, would be that there's this really strong bench of people ready to take the company to even the next level. Uh, so that, that's what kind of keeps me going. Looking at the span of your career, what would you say was the biggest challenge that you've overcome? I think the biggest change in my career uh, was the transition from the finance role, the day-to-day finance role at 3G to a like a, a management role, like actually working at a real company with a bunch of people. And, and I, I got good advice from great people who kind of made that transition, people like Beto Sikupira, who, who, who was, a, was a partner at 3G, and at one point in his career ran you know, one of the largest retailers in Latin America, from Alex Baring, who also had a similar transition. And, and, and again, the advice was just all about managing the people and, and not the business and making sure you, you focus on a few things, stay focused, don't, don't spread yourself too thin, but, but ultimately make sure you have the best, best people on your team and make sure you have the right people in the right places and always just eat, eat and live and breathe the, the culture of meritocracy. And, you know, I try to do that every day and and hopefully that makes the company a, a better place to work and a better company uh, each and every day. What is the skill that you found in yourself that has allowed you to progress so quickly through these roles? I think I, I have a, a pretty good ability to, to spot talent. And I think I have, I have a pretty good ability to make kind of big people bets and also to make sure that we continue to, to make sure that we have the right people in the right places. And by doing that, I think that's what's enabled the, the company to, to move at the pace that it's moved. Not, not, not specific projects that I'm mm-hmm. doing or not doing, but, but really making sure that, that we continue to bring in a high caliber of talent and make sure that, this, that, that our meritocracy culture is in fact working and that that doesn't stall and that we continue awarding responsibility to those who deserve it. You know, as the company grows in size, that's something, if you ask me, what was I worried about at points? Was that something like, would we kind of steer away from our hands-on ownership meritocracy culture with, you know, with, with the growth in the company? I think that's something that we've been able to avoid. We've been able to stay pretty true to our culture of having really good people. Yeah. And how do you personally define success? Look, I think success for, for us, if you want to kind of step back and just be objective, you have to measure the, the size of the brands. Um, if our brands are growing bigger each and every year, if people, if our guests love our brands, that will be like the, the ultimate objective. I mean, if, if the brands are much bigger five, 10 years from now, people love the brands. As a company, that means we were probably pretty successful. In order to make that happen, we need awesome people. We need the right strategy, and we need awesome people. You can't have one without the other. You, you need both. And do you link your personal success with the success of the company? 
I think there are other factors that go into personal success, right? So you, you can't, you have to be successful at home and, and at work, right? So I think objectively, you know, measuring success at work, if you're growing the size of the brands, you're attracting and retaining great people, then you're successful at work. But personal success, you need to also be successful at home. Like, you know, is my family happy? You know, are my children doing well? Do I have a good relationship with them? Do I feel like I'm instilling good values in them? And are they growing as people? And have like a loving relationship with my wife. So I, you know, that, that's, that's also really important. It's the balance. So, yeah. It's, it's a balance. Like it's a virtuous cycle. You have to be happy at work. And if you're happy at work, then, you know, when you, when you come home at the end of the night, you're going to be happy at home. And if you're not, you have to be happy at home and you'll be happy. So it's a, it's a bit of a virtuous cycle. And other people have said that. And so I, 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 I want to be successful at both. And you, you can't have like one without the other. Is there a piece of advice that you would give to someone who wants to have a career like yours? Maybe they're just starting out or they're just in the early stages of their career? Yeah, uh, just work really hard. <laughs> That's how you can differentiate yourself. You know, be open-minded, be humble, work really hard. And I think if you're if you're working really hard, like harder than all of your peers, you'll eventually, you know, you'll, you'll be in a position to, you know, do something big at some point. Is that is that what you mean by it? like outwork the the people around you? Yeah, you have to work really hard. That's it because there's plenty of smart people out there, and there'll be plenty of people who have more than you and all that. So you just have to try and outwork people. That's within your control. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to This Is Success from Business Insider. Our show is produced by Anna Mazarakis and Sarah Wyman. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer, and I'm Rich Filoni. Before you go, Daniel Schwartz has something to confess. I'm driving a minivan to the office these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? Is that just for the family? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't seem very happy about it. No. Well, there's always the van left. Have you seen um, the, the Seinfeld episode about the van man becoming like a van culture? The van yeah. culture? I've seen most Seinfeld episodes. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. All right, you have to see I'll it. Have to watch when that Kramer one. get yeah. yeah, George gets a van actually. Anyways, I digress. But thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Next week on the show, we've got Dan Brown, best-selling author of The Da Vinci Code. The galley came out, the advanced reading copy, and I took it out to a park and sat down with it and read it in a whole day. Read the whole thing from cover to cover, and thought, if this book doesn't work, then I then I shouldn't be a writer. Subscribe to This Is Success in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to catch that episode and explore our archive. Please leave us a rating and write a review. It really helps others find the show. This Is Success is a production of Insider Audio.